Good morning or good afternoon, everybody. Uh, we thank you for coming in and being patient with us. Uh, Zoom had an outage, and uh, and thank you that you came back to uh, uh, worship uh, our Lord and Savior today. If you could keep your Bibles open to Luke chapter 5, uh, our message is from there. And we want to talk about how to recover from failure, how to recover uh, from failure. Let us pray. God, as we uh, prepare uh, just to share your word, uh, give us ears to hear, eyes to see, and give us a mind to apply the word to our lives. And let us hide this word in our hearts so we may not sin against thee. In the name of Christ, amen. Uh, approximately three years ago, uh, I had the opportunity to go to uh, the pastor's conference at Moody uh, Bible Institute. I went to this pastor's conference uh, and uh, had a great time meeting five to hundred to six hundred pastors there and we had these breakout sessions these breakout groups and in one of the breakout groups i will never forget one pastor uh asked question as the question was um, what scares you he's asking a group of pastor what scares you um, great question. What frightens you? But this one pastor said, what frightens me is what if I fail at being a Christian? Um, we all have experienced failure. Uh, failure is inevitable to the life of the fallen man who lives here on earth. We all have experienced failure. Things are just not going to, things not working right. Failure is inevitable. It's part of our DNA, it's part of who we are. And so therefore we lose, uh, we fail, we, we mess up. Uh, things just don't turn out right. But I'm here to share with you today, and all of us can testify that failure also can be stepping stones to success. Uh, that if the truth is told, that we have probably learned more from our failures than we have learned from our success. If we look back over our lives, and I can testify of this, that when I look back over my life, I can truly say that the things that uh, I have learned the most from, that I have gleaned the most value from, that has been the most motivating to, for me to be successful. It has always been some of the failures of my life. And sometimes the failures of my, is up due to my own choosing. But the failures in my life has caused me and have put me in a position where it has been the stepping stone uh, to my success. Uh, when I, as a teenager, growing up as a kid, uh, when I got a bad grade, uh, I, my parents had my attention more so than when I got a good grade. Failure has always been uh, 
the stepping stones for our uh, success. And when I, again, I think we all can testify that as we look back, the things that we had struggled with, the things that we failed in, if it was a divorce, if it was finances, if it was a wayward child, whatever it is, we found ourselves uh, in those moments of failure, learning so many lessons that ultimately can later on down the road lead us to be successful. In this text, we see a moment of failure. Many people are familiar with this text, but there are some real gleaming principles that we can learn about failure that turns into our success. And if we're really going to be uh, mature Christians, mature believers, followers of Jesus Christ, disciples of Jesus Christ, we are going to fail. But in failing, we got to decide what are the steps we could take to be able to be successful in the days, weeks, months, and even years to come. In this text, we see uh, Jesus. This is the beginning of his ministry. And so like so many times when Jesus is teaching and sharing the word of God, uh, the crowd grows because here is a man that preached with such authority. He taught with such power. And so here he is again, beginning to teach. And he's teaching here in this text, Luke chapter five. Um, and as he's teaching, we see some things in this text uh, that is quite interesting. Uh, he's standing around. The people are crowding around him. They're wanting to hear more of Jesus. We know this is the beginning because he doesn't even quite have his disciples. And so here he is on the edge of the lake. And uh, he recognized there are two boats there. And when he recognizes two boats, Jesus does something that I think is quite interesting. Because, see, we already know in this text that Jesus that yet does not have his disciples. So here he, at the, at the beginning of his ministry, and he's teaching, uh, and as he's teaching, there is Peter, James, and John, who later will become his disciples and others. And, and then there's this crowd around him, and Jesus begins to teach. And they, Jesus does something that to me is quite interesting. The interesting thing that he does here is he steps in a boat without asking permission. And so if you had just stopped at verse 1 and 2, what you would begin to raise the question, whose boat is it? Who did the boat belong to? But yet we find in verse 3 that it is Peter's boat. And Peter is washing his nets, and he's a fisherman. And if you are a fisherman, if you are a, uh, a professional fisherman, this is what you do for a living, as Peter was a professional fisherman, the one of the things you would not let a stranger or anyone touch or mishandle or handle is your boat because it's your livelihood. And here Jesus just steps in the boat uh, and decides he wants to begin uh, teaching. And this, this gives us to the first point uh, of our lesson today. If you really want to be successful after you have failed, how to recover from failure, how to gain success, the first thing you must do, which is found in verse number three, is that you got to allow Jesus 
to take control. Look, 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 look in verse number three. It says he got into the boat, the one belonging to Simon, and asked him to put out a little further from shore. In essence, uh, and he begins teaching. First of all, even though this was his chief possession, he allowed Jesus to take control of his chief possession. I, that's a critical piece here because one of the things that we must begin to realize in our Christian journey is that the starting point is allowing Jesus. When I have failed, when I messed up, when I, I blew it, when I I, I, I just don't know how I got to this place. I, I find myself in a rock, in a, between a rock and a hard place. And here I am in a situation. The first thing that we need to do is that if we're going to be successful after we've had failure is we must decide that I'm going to allow Jesus to take control. That is the starting point if you want to be successful. Uh, the Apostle Paul said it this way, I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. And so our struggle can our struggle sometimes is that we don't mind if Jesus uh, is uh, in charge of our life. We just don't want to give him all our possessions. There's some things we're holding on to that we have not relinquished, we have not surrendered. And so therefore Jesus cannot take control of it. We, we you know, we're still holding on to our marriage and, and we haven't released our spouse to Jesus, our children to Jesus, our career, our job to Jesus. And somewhere in the process, we have to make a decision that I'm gonna give my life to Jesus. He has, and he's in charge of all my possessions, everything that I own, everything that's in my domain, I'm going to release it uh, to him. Uh, I remember one time that we had some neighbors when I was growing up, we had some neighbors that moved to Detroit. And uh, these, these neighbors were uh, extremely and excessively ghetto. Uh, I mean, they will come over your house and wreck your house. And uh, we found that they were coming back in town and they wanted to come and visit us. And I was maybe seven or eight years old. And at that time, as a seven or eight year old child, my number one possessions was my toys, my cars and my trucks, uh, my cars and my truck. They were my uh, number one possession. And, and, and they were coming over and they had some kids. And I remember them destroying one of my other trucks. And so... Uh, I began to hide my trucks, and my mother said, you know, that's not right. My mother said, we are a Christian home, and you got to, you got to share your toys, share, share your trucks and your cars. So you go and get those cars and trucks out and allow your friends to come and play with them. And so I went and got my toys and my trucks and my cars, and I took one wheel off of each truck and one wheel <laughs> off of each car. And then I handed them a three-wheel truck because I knew they wouldn't play long. Too many times we give part of our possession to the Lord, but not all of our possession to the Lord because we think we can handle it better than he can handle it. But Peter in this text gives his possession, his prized possession, 
to Jesus, uh, maybe because he had heard of who he was, but, but he gives his prized possession to Jesus. Point number one is that you got to allow Jesus to take control. The second point we see in this point is in verse number four, and you've got to do what Jesus asked. Uh, 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 do what Jesus asked. Jesus says, when, when we look at verse number four, he said, when he got through speaking, when Jesus got through teaching, he says to Simon, put out into the deep water, let down the nets for catch. Simon and them were finished fishing. Uh, they had fished all night long, and they had basically caught nothing. Uh, and so here is Jesus, who was not a fisherman, telling a fisherman where to fish, how to fish, when to fish. And, 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 and Peter, in verse 5, does something amazing, because if Bible readers know that Peter was a guy uh, who was quick with his mouth and wasn't always ready to follow instructions. And so, but in this case, Peter is obedient. And he says back to the master, verse number five, look, master, uh, we worked hard all night. We've been out here all night. We haven't caught anything. In essence, the implication is we are fishermen. And, and there's nothing that we've seen all night that makes it conducive to catch a fish. But he says, but because you say so, just because of what I just seen and just because of what I've just heard and just because of the teaching that you have just demonstrated, just at your word, I'm going to do what you asked me to do. Sometimes in our lives, we need to just look back at what Jesus had done before. We have seen him work in our lives. We've seen him open doors that no man can shut. We've seen his word be true and his promises are fulfilling. And just at his word, we ought to do what he's asking us to do. And so here comes Peter says, I'm going to do what you say. Uh, I'm going to follow your command. And too many Christians, we are, are we are more apt to call ourselves Christians. We are Christians. We call ourselves to be Christian, but we don't always keep his command. See, it's one thing to be a Christian. It's another thing to be obedient. It's one thing to say, Lord, I need you to save my life. It's another thing and says, I'll go and I'll do and I'll act the way you want me to act even when I don't necessarily agree with it. See, it's one thing to obey him when you you believe in what he's saying. It's another thing when you don't agree. Peter didn't necessarily agree it was good for fishing, but he was just being obedient to Jesus because Jesus had told him to obey. And so therefore, if you want to be successful, if you want to turn your failures into success, you got to decide that you're going to be obedient. You're going to follow his instruction. But the third point we see in this text is in verse 6 and verse 7. You got to share your blessing. Sometimes we are more sometimes we are more apt to allow him to take control. We are we are okay with following his instructions and being obedient to what he's saying. But now we got to share. Look what verse 6 and 7. It says, when they had done so, they caught such a large number of fish that the nets began to break. 
So they signal, verse number seven, they signal their partners in the other boat to come and help them. And they came and filled both boats so full they began to sink. Listen, brothers and sisters, you see, they was willing to share what they had. They just wasn't going to take it, all their blessing and say, I'm going to take everything that I just got. And, uh, and it's for me. It's for me. Too many times God has blessed us and we won't share it with no one else. Many times, when is the last time you've been a blessing just to someone else? We're not talking about blessing the church. We're talking about you seeing someone, you decide I'm gonna bless someone else just because I want to bless someone else. And so Peter is saying, look, this, this is unreal. I don't know how we got all this fish, but we're gonna call some people over and say, look, we wanna be a blessing to you today. You got two refrigerators, two freezers full of food, and people don't have food. You ought to be a blessing to someone else. And so here is Peter. He said, look, let's call someone over. I can't believe what God has done. I can't believe what God has, has made a way uh, for us. You are blessed uh, when you have decided to be a blessing to others. Uh, there's a poem that I remember as a little child and a line that was used in it, to share is to give strength to humanity. Um, let, me share, let me share this story with you. Mercedes-Benz, Mercedes-Benz, uh, the car company, was the first com car company to discover a way uh, to uh, take their cars and hit a brick wall uh, but the passenger can still be saved. The car won't crash. The car won't smash up. It'll bend, but it won't smash, and the people in the car uh, could be saved. And so Mercedes-Benz were the first one that discovered it. But Mercedes-Benz did something that was so unique. What they did once they discovered that, and some of you may remember uh, the commercial they used to have where they would take a, a dummy and they would drive the dummy in the car into a brick wall and the, the front would be bent, but nothing would happen in the car. And Mercedes-Benz could have patented um, their discovery and, and, and waited 40 or 30 or 40 years before any other car company could use it. But Mercedes-Benz did something different. They said they decided not to patent it, and they allowed every other car company to have discovered what they had discovered. They shared it with them. And the question came up, why would Mercedes do that? And the CEO of Mercedes said, some things in life are too important not to share. Brothers and sisters, there's just some stuff that God has done for us. We should be excited to share. We should be excited to tell it, that we ought to tell the good news. Listen, if you had the cure for cancer, wouldn't you share it? Then what bigger news is about Jesus the Christ being alive and he's being our Lord and he is... A He's our all in all. And some things ought to just be too hard not to share. So therefore, we see that Paul shared the blessings of this fish. But then we see in verse 8, point number 4, is that once his eyes were opened that of this miracle that took place, he was willing, number point number 4, to walk in humility before God. 
verse number eight says that that when Simon Peter saw this, he fell at Jesus' knees and said, go away from me. Lord, I am a sinful man. What humility, what humility. David said it this way in Psalms 119. He says, Lord, keep me from lying to myself. We see, we need to be true to who we are. That See, too many times we are comparing our lives with other people or with other Christians or other church members. And we say, I do feel pretty good. But we ain't never to measure, our life is never to be measured against people. Our lives is to be measured against how do we look in comparison to Jesus Christ. He is the model. He is the standard. And when I look at my life against Jesus Christ, Lord, I am a sinful man. And Peter was like, my eyes are open. I don't deserve this. I don't know if I really believe you knew what you were talking about. And how many times that God has just blessed us and just opened doors for us. And we got blessings just pouring it into our lives. You ain't worked in two months and you ain't missed a meal. You 10 pounds heavier than you was two, two months ago. That God has taken care of you. God has blessed you. God has looked at you. You don't deserve it. You ought to give him praise and glory glory and honor and say, Lord, I thank you that even though I'm in quarantine, even though I can't work, even though I got to wear a mask, that what am I doing? I'm wearing a mask sitting in my house watching Netflix and TV shows and uh, uh, eating good, calling food. If I don't even want to walk in the store, I can call them and tell them to bring it to me. God, I don't deserve your blessing, but I'm thankful. Peter recognize that boy when I see what he has done for me I'm not even worthy to be in his present but yet he calls me our brothers and sisters John said he calls us friend I'm so glad to be a friend of Jesus because he loves me why would he love me why is he so good to me why is he so kind to me but listen you can't you you're not going to be successful if you stop there there's one more point that we need to see. God is good. Yes, he is. And we ought to walk in humility before him. But there's one thing. We ought to reset our priorities. If anything, this quarantine should teach us. The church needs to reset. Our lives need to reset. Our families need to be in reset. Uh, uh, let's not act like, you know, everybody wants to open up and everybody wants to go back. But let me share this with you. Going back, let's not act like, like long hours and stressful commutes and hectic crowds and shopping malls packed and infinite choices and air pollution and 24-7 lifestyle was a utopia. We need to reset that from our long hours and that family matters and God should be glorified and we should be in his word and we should be on our knees. We shouldn't have to pray when a quarantine comes. We should just be used to praying that during the quarantine, I'm just as business as usual. We need a reset, and the reset is about following him. Look, look, check this out. In this text, point number five, reset priorities. Uh, point number five, it's in, it's in the text. They get this huge fish. They get a boatload of fish, two boatloads of fish. 
and 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 in verse nine, all his companions were astonished at the fish. And not only was the companion of James and John's the sons of Debbie, but check verse eleven. When they pulled their boats up on shore, they didn't go and enjoy the blessing. They didn't go and just got into what God had blessed them with. In essence, when Peter, James, and John saw what God had done, they had a reset in their priorities. Instead of enjoying the fish, they went and followed him. Oh, brothers and sisters, they said, look, if he can give us fish one time, he can give us fish another time. They began to follow him. Cal Eiderman in his book says uh, many believers are not followers of Christ. They're only fans of Christ. See, and he talks about there's a difference between a fan and a follower. Let me, and the example that uh, Cal Eiderman gives, I love it. He says the Pittsburgh Steelers are, he felt without a doubt, the number one team in the National Football League that are followers. He said most of the other teams are nothing but fans, that they are at the home games, they're sold out at the home game, they cheer on their team, and when their team is on the road, they stay home, they watch it on the tube. He said that's just a fan, that I, I, I'm there at home. He said but the Steelers are known to go in on the road with their team, 20, 30,000 strong. They will go into a city and buy up as many tickets as they can. And if not, they'll just hang out at the stadium, hanging out, tailgating, because they're not just a fan of their team. They are a follower of their team. Brothers and sisters, Peter, and Peter James, and John, they said, look, we got a reset priority. We were fishermen. But now we get your fish for people. We are fishermen of men. Listen, brothers and sisters, listen, God has blessed you and God is good, but don't worship the blessing. Don't worship the goodness. Don't worship how good God's been on the thing that he's blessed you with. Don't worship the blessing, but wishing worship the blesser. Don't just be a fan of Jesus and clap for him, but be a follower of him, that even when he's on the road, even when he puts me in positions that I'm not comfortable with, guess what? I'm going to obey him. I'm going to follow him because I am not just a fan of Jesus. I am a follower of him. Dear God, we love you. We thank you for this day. We praise you, God. Let us be good. Let us be not just followers. Let us be committed followers of you, not just fans. Lord, we fail, and many days we will. But Lord, you have taught us to be successful, and we can be successful by following and restoring and returning our lives back to you, doing what you ask, sharing your blessings walking in humility before your presence, and ultimately and lastly, resetting our priorities. In the name of Christ, amen. Listen, if you are here today and you've never accepted Christ, we invite you uh, to accept him today. We thank you that you found us. Uh, if you are uh, wanting to be added to the church, 25th Street, but you are a believer, but you feel that you are being called to this congregation, to this family, we invite you as well. If you need to rededicate your life, we ask you to do that as well. 
you can, if you want to share that information with us, we ask you to, you can either go on our website and send me an email. Uh, you can call the church office uh, or you're welcome to call me or text me.